Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, what's up? I'm Zane Lowe. Thanks for joining me for another one of my conversations right here on the interview series on Apple Podcasts. It's a scenario that had just become really familiar to me. Every time Pearl Jam or Eddie Vedder released music, I would sort of gently dance around the operation, hoping that there would be some acknowledgement and we'd get a chance to sit down and talk about the music, and it never really came. And it's not that I would ever take that personally. I suppose I could have. Maybe it was. Anyway, the main reason I figured that that was happening was because he just doesn't really do it. Like, you sort of get the feeling that after the first album and this kind of unprecedented success and huge global attention era for Pearl Jam, that Eddie Vedder decided to be very deliberate and focused on the music and just let all the other stuff kind of fall away. At one point or another, that of course, and famously included music videos, uh, even the way that they toured through big business touring, they took that on. And, and as far as doing interviews were concerned, I just never got the impression it was important to him. So fast forward to today and this brand new Eddie Vedder solo album, which is called Earthling, produced by Andrew Watt, who I'm lucky enough to call a friend, as well as me being a fan of his work. And he was the one who sort of put this whole thing together. He's like, I really think you and Eddie will connect on this album. I think the time is right. And so hats off to Andrew Watt for sort of parent trap this whole scenario and now finally I get to introduce a conversation with me and one of my all-time lifelong musical heroes Eddie Vedder an hour is never going to be long enough but hopefully it's the first of many conversations oh who am I kidding it's probably just this one. Oh well enjoy it this is me and Eddie Vedder you know I feel like this has been a real yeah, journey is the right word because I feel like when you fall in love with an artist or someone's music or art, you do begin a journey with them. And I was talking to Josh about this last night, Josh Klinghoffer, and he was saying how when he was young, falling so deeply in love with the Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam, and now being a part of each of those families respectively, there's this undeniable connection that you build when you're a fan of something and if you make music, it does draw you closer. And I feel like you know that more than anyone because that's kind of been your life, like fan and now friend and then colleague and collaborator and the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think the other thing too is to go from the audience to the stage. So so that's, that's another, I don't know, I, I think you have a, as opposed to someone who maybe kind of just grew up, you know, or had opportunities early or was very comfortable with being on stage or, you know, it's it's a little different, you know, fighting for an opportunity to get on that stage or at least giving it your best shot, you know. It's, it's a rarity, you know, to, to succeed in that kind of way. And, um, and as it goes, it just gives you further and further appreciation for the ability to be on that stage, the, the fortunate feeling of having people that care what you do on that stage and and also the overriding kind of grace and that that you you're feeling useful you know something in your life that you're you're able to, to do some to mm. to just be useful you know, you share it so openly. I, I've watched so many Pearl Jam performances in different environments, online and whatnot, and one thing that always comes across, and that is that you love to make the audience feel like they're on that stage. <laughs> like, you really, there's no barrier there at all. Um, 
And when I was growing up, I don't know how it was for you when I was growing up, like that barrier was kind of part of what was the meant, but that was sort of the marketing part of the excitement, you know, like you'll never get up here. You got to worship me. This is a rock show. <laughs> and you just don't have that thing about you at all. You get up there with your friends and you're like, if I could do this in the front row, I would. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> do you know some of that escapism thing? That's, that's, valid too and that's yeah. useful too it's just really how you you know in some ways you know we're here in Chicago even, even being a, a we're talking about baseball and we're talking about a lifelong fan of a team but 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 the beauty that is Wrigley Field and the history that is the Chicago Cubs and all that when I, I knew people that worked with the team they're very close and some of the players and managers and when I was kind of allowed to be in areas that that fans don't get to go, average fan yeah. would not have that kind of access. They would they would love to have it, yeah, and they would be soaking everything up. and And I feel like I was doing that kind of for everybody. You know, I was just like soaking it up, and 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 would have stories to tell all my my friends forever, based on that. And, and in the same way, you could apply that to music too. Mm. You know, I I I just feel like I'm. I'm getting to appreciate it for you know a lot of people. My story with you began with you in Seattle, and then I got to know you better through your music and the stories. And so I traced it back to San Diego, and then I finally traced it back to Chicago, and then I realized that it's always been Chicago. And then it's like you being here in this city. So I guess if from a fan's point of view, Seattle was where you found your family that exists with you today, and San Diego was where you went on your journey to establish your own identity. What does Chicago mean to you when you think about it? Uh, Chicago is the original roots, you know, and um, and they've never been completely ripped out of the ground, you know. It's it's just, it really did a lot of. Um, it helped form me both as a as a young kid and then moving back as a as a young adult, and you know, some of my first like adult jobs of waiting tables and things like that were here. And you know, fond memories of being a kid were were here. You know, Schwinn bikes and having a little gang of nine-year-olds. You know, like stand by me kind of stuff. I think Seattle is actually where a lot of the identity stuff came in. Mm -hmm. To be honest, because I it, that's when you really had to to figure out. You know, I knew who I was as a workman, and 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 someone who had a work ethic, and somebody who could who could put in the hours and, and you know, kind of uh, produce whatever you needed from them. You know, I was ready for the workload, but, but as far as like who we were or who, I think a lot of that got formed up in, in Seattle in a way. You're a family man, not just a family man. Like I'm a family man, but you're a family man. Like mm -hmm. you love to, to be in, in a, in a group of people that inspire you and you can inspire back and I see that with your band right now and the whole earthlings with the earthling and you know watching the movie and the way that you embraced the outside moving inside and I I was thinking about your story and I wondered sort of how important being around those young kids when you're a young kid and your mum opening the door to, to, to kids who needed that and you being at the center of it because you were her son, kind of prepared you for that and that desire to like, you know, welcome people in and be a part of a group, you know? You know, consistency and loyalty are, are 
that they can't be underrated, you know, or, or they can't be overrated rather. Mm -hmm. You know, those two things. And so when you have a, a long group like, you know, the Pearl Jam group in Seattle and, and all our crew, and, and even the people we work with, with, you know, the label and thing, you know, it's mostly people that have been with us since day one or the week after. And so this group of fellas, you would think that it's it's kind of amazing how quickly it come together, but but really the threads of our relationships go way back. I mean, our, our first real Pearl Jam tour outside of our, us just playing clubs on our own was with the Chili Peppers and with Chad Smith and what that goes back to 92 or something. Mm -hmm. Chad and all our uncles in that group, Flea and Anthony and... Um, and then getting to know Josh over the years. I, I guess I'm just real fortunate. I'm fortunate that Andrew Watt, you know, works so closely with these guys. Yeah. It, it fit quickly and, and closely and there was no alterations needed. And, and it was just, we kind of off to the races as far as playing and writing right. and recording. And, you know, Andrew had so much to do with that, whether, and, and every, every aspect of that. I mean, he tells me a story, but I'm not sure I've heard it from anyone else but him. So. I'm sure you know it, which is that being a sort of lifelong fan of the band, that, that he had, there's something in the story where he found himself on the receiving end of a birthday message or there was something where the, the connection was still, after he, he made that first connection, he was still by rights the fan, not the, on the road <laughs> to friendship. Do you know what I mean? Is this, yeah. is this familiar to you, like how you got to know him? The first I knew of him was was a someone left me a letter and a guitar at, at That's right. the Shoreline Amphitheater in San Francisco, which was where we would do the bridge school shows. Yeah. And I think it was at the last bridge school, however many years ago that was. Yeah. Um, that somebody said this guy left a guitar on this note for you, and and it was from this somebody who was in a band that that had played. Uh, that venue a few weeks before and, and asked that this guitar get delivered to me. And it seemed like a nice, it was a nice, really nice letter. Uh, I gave him a call back, thanked him. And um, and I guess when I gave him the call back, he had my number, I guess. That's how that worked. <laughs> Which was great. Right. Because then every once in a while I'd get a nice little message. He was very responsible with the number. And I mean, that, you've got to be careful with that because once you open the door, especially with somebody A, you're a fan of, and B, that is prides their privacy, right? And you've been very clear about that. Like, I give you what I give you, but don't, don't get in between the lines. I was just feeling so grateful, you know, I wanted to leave, leave him a message and uh, whoever this person was. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? But, but yeah, sometimes it's good to put yourself out there because... Yeah. Like um, what happens. He handled it great, and uh, every once in a while I'd get a little text from him, and here and there, and it's cool. But uh, and I and I knew that he was working, but didn't really know what he was working on or anything like that. Yeah. And and I'm just really proud of the guy. You know, he he's he's as passionate about music as anybody I've ever met in my whole life. You know, and that yeah. says a lot because we. Because I know you. <laughs> and I know you, and we know people who are supremely passionate about music. But you're right, Andy is an enthusiastic fan. You almost have to be careful what you say. Because <laughs> yeah, the next Andrew, thing the phone is because yeah. <laughs> shit could happen. It's true. Um, and at some point, it's almost like be careful what you think. He talks about you in the same way, though, in the sense that when you're. You, 
you have to be careful. You have to be entirely ready because when lightning strikes with you, it's like, you gotta get it. Like you gotta capture it, you gotta capture that performance, capture that moment. Well, he's good because he's quick. And, and you know, he's as far as just the technical side of things, mm-hmm. uh, microphones and signal pass that re- you're running stuff through, um, uh, through and the mix board, you know, all the, the technical stuff that these guys do. And he has a great right-hand man called Paul and another guy called Marco. Um, you know, it's a real fast-moving uh, experience as a writer that can be really, really great, you know. And and you would think it would be, there'd be, there's not too much pressure that you have to do it in time, but if you want to go quick and, and yeah. you're, you're in that, you're, you know, it's like this quick little, you know, like a water spout or, or <laughs> those small tornadoes yeah. you see on the street every once in a while, yeah. it, it's quick. Yeah. And it'll last for a few minutes and then it just kind of goes away. That, that could be what songwriting is sometimes. You hear it all over Earthling as a, as a record. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really light on its feet. Which isn't to say it's not heavy and it hasn't got a lot of you know strong, very direct energy, but there's a sense of freedom I hear through the record, even through some of the more personal and intense songs. Um, you're covering a lot of ground too. You know, there's moments of the need, you know, desire for reconciliation, for supporting someone through pain, um, loss, but it starts in this overwhelmingly positive space. You know, Invincible is just like let me get that CB radio and start this transmission and send this message out there and wider than awake is an opening line it's like wow okay so and that was where it began right and it kind of blows my mind that that's where it began because the world was not that when that song came to you well musically is where it began and then lyrically it was the, i think it was the last thing to happen yes we ended on a positive note and then our ending is really the beginning so what was the first lyric that would change my whole timeline completely i believe it was the halves Okay. That was the first one I think we wrote together. And then Power of Right. Yeah. We did like a loud one and a fat. We just started writing real quick and then uh, decided to keep going and then kind of get out of the way of, of the stuff. You know, it's funny because you can kind of timestamp what you're going through by songs and mm-hmm. when they were played. And it would have been strange to to tell you know the guys in Seattle because we we've been working a lot too, mm-hmm. and it, and it would have felt weird to say, hey, I'm gonna go work with this other guy and these other people and Chad and all that. That might have felt strange, except for having just been down there, and then all these songs like falling off of trees, yeah, and then they were ripe and <laughs> pretty looked pretty great, tasted pretty great. Um, and you're not allowing yourself at any moment during this process to second guess to your point about, hmm, if I'm making an album here, do I tell the other guys in, in Seattle? Like, mm, what's going on here? What's the line I'm walking? I know, we were talking about loyalty and long relationships, yeah, right? right? So, what an um, asshole. Yeah, musical <laughs> adultery happened. But really, it was, it was just the whole process. And then I, and then I thought, well, this, this might be a really interesting process because the guys might really like this too. Mm. And so then we kind of kept going and about halfway through, then we had um, all the Pearl Jam fellows come down too and mm. work with Andrew in his space and with mm. his people and mm. 
his room and those sounds and and that was feeling really good too. So it all balanced out, you know. Um, everyone's feeling great about it and and excited about the future and, and recording in a, in a little bit different way. Pearl Jam's been recording in kind of like the uh, more laborious, long processes and, and spending time like in the laboratory and, and that was great. Mm. But, um, you know, it's good to kind of move around and switch it up. Just yeah. different energy. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think about your solo records and the, and, the, and the music you've made on soundtracks and things you've done in the past and, and I'm sure it's not as, as conscious as this. It's my job to overanalyze things. Um, but, 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 but in my, but in my <laughs> the way I look at it is that, you know, you sort of, okay, I've got these songs, but the ukulele is my friend and it's not gonna, it's not gonna blur the lines over here, you know, I can get these songs out and it'll be precious to me. And the soundtrack gives me the distance I need. And whereas this is a rock record, this is like, right. you, yeah. you've got another rock band. And so that's where it gets interesting. Cause it's like, but they're your rock band. <laughs> so yeah. as a fan, it's like, woo, we're really in. I know, it's, it's, it was. A new world. I could feel the difference. And especially, and now even being on a tour, I mean, it's a very small tour, mm -hmm. but it was enough to start realizing, wow, we're in a band and we're on the road. And you know what happens? And, and you know, Stone's been on the road with uh, groups mm -hmm. and Jeff mm -hmm. and puts out records and tours them. And uh, I just think, I just think it informs what we do in Pearl Jam. I think all of this allows us to be more well-informed, more able to, uh, you know, another routes or experiences with communication with others about music, okay. about show. I, I just think it's a, a healthy, healthy thing. And, you know, and it probably gives us, it always will give you a, um, a, a fresher outlook or something, there's gonna be something new that you'll be bring, bringing back into the fold. And, and I can't, you know, it's always gonna be positive. Um, if it was negative, you wouldn't bring it back in. Exactly. And you wouldn't take these shows on the road and, and you look like you're having a great time and it's just free form and picking the songs you're doing. And dude, that was a Lars deep cut, by the way, respect. Um, <laughs> you know, most people would be like, there she goes. Well, the last goes. period is a deep it's, cut. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there she goes. It's like even Hollywood used that. You know? Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. That's the, but yeah, but I mean, it was it was great to Oh, you it. could go deeper with the cuts though. There's so many greats. You, you know, you, you're probably playing a lot of these places, but for the first time in a long time, because I mean, Pearl Jam, when you go on the road, you make a count, you want to reach as many people as you can. Um, when you walk into these clubs, and you decide what you're gonna play. I've always been fascinated about the way you approach your set list each night, because I know that you really try to sort of get inside the experience before the experience begins. Like, mm, how is, that, is this gonna inform the room and add value to people and other? So how, how do you sort of- I got a bunch of songs. There's gotta be some way to make it meaningful. There's gotta be- <laughs> But I think it must be the most fun way. part. I think it's the most, most fun part. Like this whole old school cliche, like, ah, oh, the set list. It's like, wouldn't that, why is that not the most fun part? Like. What yeah. do we start with? I know. I was I was going over. You were talking about the Cubs, and I was I was reminding myself of some of the great experiences you've had there, and, and I was I was reminded that you had a World Series experience before you had the World Series experience, and uh, and the thing that I took from that story was the Spectrum moment, because I was like, wow, you played the last night of the Spectrum, so that's a good opportunity for me to ask someone like Eddie, who it's not just another gig, 
what something like that feels like when you walk into a room that's hosted so much music and music leaves its mark, it adds to the spirit of a room, it doesn't leave when a band leaves. Right. When you walk into a room like that and you know you're the last one's going to contribute to it, like what that feels like for you beyond just notes and set lists. And <sighs> yeah, it's a lot of history. You know, these, some of these venues that we've played on this tour, some of the ones we've played, you know, they're 100 years old. Um, the Spectrum, you know, the backstage is where uh, Roger wrote Comfortably Numb for Pink Floyd. How many nights there? Springsteen, you know, all these kind of historical. I, I think that the main thing is is to celebrate it with the people there that night, and then and then take all those memories back with you, and 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 kind of make sure that they live inside you. And you know, it's good that it happened to somebody who really appreciated it. You know, and not to talk, you know, not to mention Dr. J and the Seventy Sixers and yeah. Philadelphia Flyers. You know, there's all these these venues. There is, there's a lot of ghosts in there. You make friends with the ghosts and then say, if you need some place to stay when they <laughs> blow this one up, you can come to my house. Making heart. friends with ghosts, my gosh, that's a big part of what I hear in this album. You're really open in this album about things that maybe young Eddie Vedder would have been protective of and afraid to share is what I think, you know, as a fan. I mean, listening to this record, some of the ground you're covering, what you're talking about, some incredible, incredible lyrics. Um, that idea of, you know, fuck your past or your fuck your future um, is really in evidence on the last moment on the record, um, on my way, where it's like, okay, everyone knows the story. Let me bring it to life in the right way. How, how, mm. did, that, how did that happen? How did you sort of get, find yourself there where you were able to do that? Well, yes, somebody that I knew through a friend of a friend, through a friend on a baseball team, and it's a, just the most random confluence of events, but uh, I got four or five songs of my father singing. Um, my father didn't, I didn't ever really know. So it was pretty intense to hear his voice and, and, and one night- And you waited, right? You waited a while to do that. I, someone would give me the CD and, and uh, I carried it in my little suitcase bag for, for at least three months. Just waiting for the right time, the right, you know, feeling. Uh, anyways, it just it wasn't something I was going to throw in or, uh, or I didn't want to be driving because I wanted to be able to, you know, get home. Yeah, <laughs> be, be in an appropriately safe space. Because I don't know what's on And you don't know how either. you're going to react to it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Either way, I'm probably going to want to drink, but but uh, yeah. either celebrate or sorrow. But, exactly. Um, a lot of place for a red light. There was, there was, there was reasons to celebrate because... Here it was, and my dad, he, he sounded great. Yeah. He really sounded great. And I, I shared it with Andrew and Josh in the studio one night late. They had a real powerful experience as well. Um, hearing my pop. And uh, so then we decided, we, we just kind of added him in to the record in, in like a collage at the end. And uh, it'd probably be the first time my dad was ever on a, like a real record. and. You know, he actually did okay, you know, but he he probably just, you know, he was a professional musician in that, you know, he played for tips, I reckon. So that's professional, I think. Sure, man, if you can make it your day to day, then that's, yeah. many people, that's what the dream is. But I love listening to that piece of music because A, there's the, the combination of your voices is wonderful and B, it's kind of 
I suppose in a weird way, being someone who, like any human being, is kind of trying to get to that place. I was talking to an artist about this idea of tabula rasa, right? This idea of a clean slate, the practice of trying to clear as much away of your learned experiences as possible to create new experiences, right? Because we only have a finite amount of space and more often than not, we fill it full of all the shit. That's right. Right, and then it's like, well, how much space can I clear to fill with good shit? Right. Right? And I feel like this song is like, that might have been a, lot of space, a little clearing. <laughs> a little clearing, right? Must have done. You know, I sometimes we don't know why we do things. Mm. Sometimes we meet people later that figure it out for us. Mm -hmm. Like you might have just done, <laughs> thank you. I think you're right. So I, I think it's what's good to follow your instincts. You might not know why you're doing something. Mm. A lot of the record was like that. Like, I don't know where this is going or why. Sticking with it, I think that was another thing about working quickly, that you, you find yourself in places that, as opposed to working something and taking a really long time with it, you know, just long time and re-editing and, and re, you know, adding another filter and then, I think working quicker is gonna get you somewhere unexpected more than when you take your time with something, so I, I, I think I think with the arts, or maybe right. I think you know, even if your process is that is that you normally work kind of slow and methodically. Every once in a while, it's good to like just yeah. What was the quickest? What was the quickest Pearl Jam album you made? What's the fastest one? Um, good question. It wasn't the second, and it was probably it was probably much later. Probably in the second half of. Mm. No Code, I think, was pretty quick for being a, a good record. Yeah, it's a great record. You know, what Andrew taught me on this one was that, you know, after you've been in a group with guys for 30 years and they would say the same about me, like, they know how my filters run and, and they know kind of, like, where I, you know, it's, it's it would be like uh, Scotty Pippen always shoots, he, uh, he always comes up short. So Dennis Robbins always going to know that Scotty Pippen's, so he knows where to be to yeah. rebound because he's, yeah. 70%, if it don't go in, yeah. it's coming up short. There's only so many variables human beings right. can actually express in, in our lifetime. Right. I mean, we try to be you know, reinvent ourselves all the time, but really, there's a code with only so much going on. We fall back <laughs> into the whole, and, and, and just because you're aware of it, that, yeah. can, that can be like, oh, see, I knew he was gonna do that. Exactly. And I know that they, they know that about me. In yeah. fact, I think I'm a pretty easy read. I, I wouldn't be a, a, a good, Good poker player, but Andrew, I just, I, I, I became more open to, you know, I think it'll be good for our group. I've been able to relearn how to, to remain open. Mm. Um, and that's an, that's really is one of the first things to go. It's, it's easy to lose that, so. Yeah. Um, you just, this was a bit of acupuncture to, to loosen up that muscle, I reckon. It's not like you're not covering some real shit. I mean, Rose of Jericho, when I really read the lyrics, I was like, oh man, like, this is a real, like, one inch punch on a sort of species level. This is like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And when you listen to it at first, it's like, oh, this is a great rock song about a cool plant. <laughs> but, but it's actually like, it's like, hmm. This plan is like really going to be here long after we're gone, and and I, and I, I get the feeling that one came quick. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, that stuff's always in my mind. It was just more of a way of, of giving it like a, uh, a concept. Yeah. You know, I had the, uh, the really great fortune yesterday to, to speak with some uh, astronauts up on the International Space Station through a Zoom call. <laughs> and, you know, I knew it was going to be exciting. My daughter has gone to space camp and is, is very, like, got space and science theories and ideas running through her brain most of the time. She was your younger daughter. Thrilled, yeah. Her name's was, Harper. She's young. Right, and the, and the entertainment industry laments because she was so good in the footage of Ohana, that sweet moment when you guys had that duet at the end of Long Way. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's great. We're going to get two incredible Veda female artists. But no, one's going to the moon. One's going to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, yes, there's no singing in space. Is that what they say? Um, well, I knew she'd be excited about it. Yeah. You know, I asked him, what's it like getting along up there and, and do they have any lessons that they feel they could share with us down here on Earth? What did they say? You know, what he said is, you know, the nice thing about up there, there's there's no boundaries. Yeah. And there's no, they depend on each other. Yeah. You know, they really, truly depend on each other. And, and they've also been through a lot together. Yeah. And even in the training, they've been through so much. So by the time you're up there, it's absolutely no differences and, and respect. Everyone cares about each other. Again, it's a, it's you you created a family. I just feel like we talk about the health of the planet, and you know, just when you know, pandemic, world leaders that are mm -hmm. representing a, a minority, but but doing it in such a way that. Um, it, it, it feels dangerous, misleading. Mm -hmm. When, because where should we be headed is, is, is getting along better, um, resolving our issues, erasing the divides, you know. We're so good at building them though. That's the problem. We're such an effective species at creating problems for ourselves. It's crazy. And when you talk to your friends up in space, they're like, the only problem we have is making sure we don't spiral off in any direction. Yeah. Because <laughs> the stakes are so high up there. Yeah. Because there's no artificial constructs of problems. It's yeah. Like one problem. Stay on the right side of space. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. And deadly. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas here it's like. I read somewhere the other day, someone was talking about your music and they referred it to the, to the first two albums as the, the Clinton, you know, Clinton era songs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, these are songs that relate to different eras of time and whatever. And, and I, I, I wanted to ask you, like, because I have a certain relationship with, with artists and politics and I, I have this thing that makes, puts it in perspective for me, which is like, I never expect it, but I respect it if you do and you mean it, right? Mm -hmm. But I never expect artists just because you have a voice and a microphone and you mm -hmm. matter to me to show up, you know, it's like, it's your journey. Mm -hmm. You have shown up over and over again and, and, and you're still talking about things that, that matter as this person's conversation. So, you know, what is the kind of overall takeaway for someone who has never shied away from speaking your truth about the relationship between your art and making a difference in a system that is fundamentally still searching for, for ways to and break, break society. What I've found, and I think what our group has found, is that um, to talk about making a difference or suggest that other people make a difference 
or you know having your songs be about you know mm. making a difference or this issue or that issue. I think really the key after all these years is just just having done that in our own lives. So without anybody needing to know, <laughs> now I'm realizing I'm talking about it now. <laughs> But without anybody needing to know, you just do that stuff on your own, and it's practical. Mm -hmm. And you 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 watch it get done, or you help individuals, or you help a group, or you help. But you just kind of are able to do that, and 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 it's more really what you learn from that experience, and maybe that informs the songs, mm -hmm. and and maybe because. If that informs the songs, then you know it's it's authentic. real and it's right. Yeah, it's authentic. So it's not you're not singing about something that that might be just not attain unattainable or or pipe dream or or giving anybody a a false message of hope. Yeah. Even though it sounds you know we'd rather be hopeful than than the other, but. Um, I, I feel comfortable doing it that way, yeah. Because then it's it's from experience, and you know it's real, and you know it it, it, it is attainable. There is such a thing as like agitprop, you know, agitator propaganda, mm -hmm. and I I think that's a slippery slope, and I and I think it will activate people, and I think it'll get them pumped up in the you know in the streets or whatever. But but then they they walk away from the rally and the rally, and then they go. All right, now what do we do? I, mm. I felt mm. like this, and it was mm. really intense, and rah rah. But, but wait, what do we? You have to, you have to have those things kind of in place. Exciting people is one thing; educating them is another. You know, and and really, the songs in in a, you know, three and a half minute song. It's, it's you know, and and percentages are hard to rhyme. You know, so you, you just. It's just you just try to find a way to to communicate. It's yeah. really all about you know communicating and connecting. It's a, it's a challenge, but it's it's my favorite challenge. I wasn't sure if I was going to ask you about this because some songs are just better left to be listened to and absorbed in their own light. But you know, it moved me so much because of I think this. Um, as you get older, you realize, like, man, life is, is unpredictable. You think you get it figured out, and then the next thing you know, just... It's, we're all so different, and you can't control anything, and it's, it's just, like, up and down, up and down. you got to ride it, right, all the time. And there's, there's a song on the album, and you know where I'm going with this, um, you know, which is Brother the Cloud, and, you know, it's... We've seen a lot of pain in the last couple of years, and we've seen a lot of people. It's been very evident, because we're actually looking at each other for the first time in my lifetime where the whole world is sort of looking at each other in one focus. It's not like, I don't know what's going on in another country. We're all going through to some degree a similar experience. So it's leveling it all up. And that song is really powerful. And uh, did it catch you by surprise? Did it catch you off guard, that song? You know, I guess that, I guess the, uh, those feelings must have, they just must have been uh, just waiting to come out or something. It just came out quick, and and then um, you know by the time we got to the end of it, it was like okay, that was something, mm. all right. And um, you know I've lost a few people in different ways in the last decade, uh, and apparently, <laughs> just like you said, when as soon as you think that you have something figured out, you know, 
you're about to find out the otherwise, you know, something else will come along. But um, this one, I guess, I guess, informed me that I wasn't, I hadn't quite dealt with as much as I thought, or, or at least in a positive way, or I still had a lot of emotions kind of, you know, under the surface. There, there was a fire inside my core that was still, um, you know, like throwing, spitting magma. Oh, but it's but, but so funny that you didn't. There's a moment in the song where it's like, put your arm around my friend and I'm waiting for it. Like I'm waiting for that moment that you've given us before. It's like, all right, I'm gonna let this shit go. Like, yeah, you know, and you didn't. You were like, fuck you, Mike. I need to be, my needs to be really like, you, like look at me like, I need you to know you gotta say this. Like it's not like I'm not irrational here. Yeah, and, and maybe after the you, then it's, then it's just, then you get a big smile and then you get a hug, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's. What are friends what for, huh? For. That's a powerful question. Yeah, uh, break your heart. <laughs> break your heart. You know, it's somebody uh, I talked about in Jersey the other night, right before the show, somebody texted me. They thought it was another friend that, that we had in common mm. that it was referring to, particularly. Mm. Um, and he was one of the, the Newtown dads, one of the Sandy Hook fathers. I'd, I'd got to know quite a, a few of them. And I was real close with him, um, Jeremy, and he was actually supposed to come and visit me, stay at my house a few years back. I believe in January of that year, and I think we had a good long talk around Thanksgiving. He didn't come visit in January. He had some work to do up in, in Washington. Uh, he's a neurologist. Lost his daughter in that that tragic massacre, and uh, her name was Aviel, and he started something called the Aviel Foundation. And, and about two weeks before he was going to, I was expecting him at the house then, uh, he, he uh, commits suicide. And I had to tell the friend who thought it was, maybe I was referencing mm -hmm. Jer, and I said, no. <laughs> That's the one, but after that, after that, it, you know, sometimes it's hard to find forgiveness in people that, that have committed suicide. It's, it's hard to forgive them. You're, you can be angry for a long, long time. Yeah, he captured it beautifully on that song, and uh, I, you know, I think part but of it, But it wasn't, I wanted to make sure that yeah. this friend of mine knew it was not about you, that when somebody, if you lose your own child to something that maniacal and insane, that would be a very, very difficult one, and I, I would never yeah. judge him. And you know what, another one I just thought of, too. When you say suicide, Ian MacKay has a lyric, and no more suicide, uh, it kills everyone. That was from the band Embrace, mm -hmm. that record. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people, maybe they do that to, to, to hurt someone. Mm -hmm. And, but they don't expect it to hurt everyone. so many people. Yeah. The, the, there's just no way, there's gonna be a lot of collateral damage in that. You know? Yeah, well that song, um really powerful acknowledgement of, of a lot of those emotions that I think people have to suffer in, in, in silence and in private. And um, I know, I'm sure it's the kind of song because of the power of, the, of it and the kind of life you live that will have everybody wondering and talking, but at the end of the day, it's your song. 
and it should mean something to people in their own way. It doesn't mm -hmm. really matter who it's about in a strange way. It's about every, yep. everyone. I want to make sure that we uh, we finish this this conversation um, this time talking about um, your super flossy guest list on this album. It's like it's like super most flossy. It's the most people are like let me let me let me manifest something here. Can I get Elton? No, I'm gonna Elton. I'm gonna get Stevie. I'm gonna get Ringo. Like it's the best thing ever because it's just so. Uh, it's just perfect, and every one of them shows up and plays the perfect version of themselves in relation to their relationship with you. So mm. Elton sounds beautifully Elton, and Stevie just is like Stevie on fire. Mm. And even Ringo just puts in the most Ringo of Ringo performances. You know, how did you get that? I mean, how, I mean, you just got to talk me through it. I don't even have a question. This is just a reflection. I think it was. I think it was like, you know, creating a painting. And then knowing that, you know, within that, yeah. and you've tried to create all these little bit of different colors, you know, you kind of invented these colors on your own. And then, and then knowing the exact color that you need for that part, and it's kind of an important part, and yeah. if you had that, that's what we need to really make the song. But who has that color? What color is that? And then the color is Stevie. <laughs> Or ring, but so it's either you do something like that, or, or let's say the Ringo example, because you know that would be the perfect. That's the perfect color. So you can try to mix that color on your own. Yeah, Chad, can you play like Ringo? Of course he could. It just wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. You know, and then it would be like, well, what? Well, it's like a ring. Well, we can, but actually, to to have, you know, the inventor of the color, the color himself, then it then it's. You know, I mean, I, we're just very fortunate to have had the... Were you there when Andy said to him, yes. you're the best? Oh, he's, yeah. He, <laughs> Andrew said something more, you know, like, Ringo just, you're just the best, man. Thank you so much. You're just the best. And, and Ringo, yeah, he says, uh, looks up, no, Andrew, you're the best. And Andrew stops and goes, ah, oh, I'm the best. Yeah, he says, I'm the greatest. <laughs> That's what I love about this. He says, I say that to all the drummers. <laughs> I love it when people. Couldn't have been sweeter. But at the same time, couldn't it be more of a sh if he tried? That's what I love about people at that caliber is that they've learned to be sweet in order to offset the anxiety of meeting Ringo Starr, but he's still a Ringo Starr. And then Stevie, Stevie, we just, we, you know, Stevie's one of the greatest, well, certainly the greatest drummer that can sing. Yeah. In the yeah. history of music. You've seen Summer of Soul, right? Have you seen Summer Incredible. of Soul? Incredible. Oh, I mean, that's. That, God. There's my case right there. Yeah. But we thought about, you know, him having him playing drums on something. But then we had this idea of, like, because we cut, there's a song called I'll Try on it. Mm -hmm. and, and we cut it kind of a little slower version. Took most of a day doing it. And then at the end of the day, or maybe the next day, I kind of thought, we really should bump that up. It's a good song, but we just. Yes. Let's, let's freaking get through it, you know. It changes the lyric from being like, okay, here's like a bit of a testimony or like, I have an issue that I want to bring up and I ah, just shut, you know, shut the fuck up. You had uh, 20 beats per minute on it. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about our issues, but let's, let's yeah, yeah. you know, have, let's yeah. have a blast doing it. Yeah. Then for some reason, um, we had the theory of, what if Stevie played on this? We'd never heard him. Just something we hadn't heard before. Yeah. You know. So then it's taking that color, the color of Stevie Wonder, which is 
one of the greatest tones of all time. Um, and and putting it into a place where you least expect it and having it be beautiful. You know? And my thing is to stay in the moment as much as I can, right? And I'm doing a lot of work on that. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's good. It's a practice and I'm getting better at it. So I want to ask you, like, how good are you at that? Like, as someone who has is constantly in your job description being kind of reminded of your past because that's what we do as fans. We can't help mm. but, like, even play that song. All right. mm -hmm. And then being focused on the future because you are a futurist in the sense of where are we going? How do I make things better? How do I help? What's your relationship like with the present? And how much time do you really get to spend in it? You know, I, I think it's not only living in the present, but it's it's like slowing down the moment. And of course, as you get older, I think you want to slow down like all the moments. Right. It was in some ways a very inopportune time to get COVID. And then in other ways, it might have been the best time because it was it was about two weeks before this tour started. And you get hit by this thing. And did you get hit by this thing? Yeah. Wow. And then you realize, and when it happens to you and everything you've read over the period of the last year and a half, two years, and now all of a sudden you get hit. I'll tell you one thing, I'm so grateful I was vaccinated and boosted because you feel it and you think, okay, this could be it. I, thank goodness that, that booster made me feel like I had an armored jacket on, you know? Mm -hmm. But you still will go through two, three days where you think this is, this is, are you fucking kidding me, this is it? Are you fucking kidding me? This whole life, my favorite life I've ever had, still working on it, still, yeah. still like getting to, yeah. and, and, and with kids, young kids, wife, home, all these things that you've oh. worked for are grateful for. And it's all gonna be taken from this one thing. First of all, I don't understand why anybody wouldn't wanna wear- An armored jacket. The armored jacket. That's been one of the most fundamental reminders of how we are as a species capable of just being so fundamentally resolute in our belief and so fundamentally different. Well, I tell you, when it happens to you, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah. And and it's happened to a lot of people, and it's continuing. You did a lot of a lot of soul searching in two three days with COVID. And the second you find out you have it, your wife looks at you and says, "Do you feel okay? Because you're positive." You say, "Okay, I felt I had a little something." You know, if 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 a scratchy throat, mm. a sore throat is one of the symptoms, mm. a singer is not going to be able. To, a singer has a sore throat pretty much all all, all the time. Mm. It's just what we do. <laughs> There's a little bit of a lump in there all the time unless we have two yeah. weeks off. And so I'm not gonna figure that out. So I'm positive. You do not hug your wife. You do not kiss your wife. Immediately, no, if you're a good person, you go you to jail you do it, passing And go. you do an audit on everyone you know. Who have I spent time with? That's well, right. I mean, that is one of the coolest things about it is that I mean, you immediately take your own health out of the equation and start prioritizing everybody else that you know. Or don't even know well. Yeah. Oh, I went into that store two days ago. It seemed like a nice person. And then you watch your daughters through the window and uh, you wonder as you go to sleep, am I gonna wake up? Oh, so. I'm glad you're here. I'm sad that others are not. And um, I'm so happy you made this record because of everything that you said so eloquently about the future, not just about what we get right now, listening to it, because it's an awesome album, Eddie. But it's like, oh, cool. What's gonna, how's it gonna inform the next thing? How's yeah. up? You know, how is Mr. Head to Toe and Gucci 
gonna take my favorite band. Is that what that is? I fucking know something high end. I love it. You guys just come straight from rehearsal and I just came straight from fucking Fashion Week Paris. It's the best look ever. That's funny. He's incredible. I mean, thing is, I think you can get the same shit at Target. It's in the, <laughs> it's in the kids section. Sleepwear. <laughs> so this is, is this really what you're gonna be called even when you're not touring with Eddie now? Because this is this kind of pretty much the same group of musicians that come together and work on various projects. Um, this is the kind of what house band in a strange way, right? In a, in a traditional rad kind of sense. And I sort of wonder like, is, is, are you just now the Earthlings? Is that kind of just what you should, should be? Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. right? The Wrecking Crew, the Earthlings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where we like to think of ourselves as like Muscle Shoals, kind of. It's got a definite feeling like that, but it's also really amazing how adaptable you are to each of the artists that you work with. I mean, each record that you've played on feels very different. It's testament to you as a producer, but also as a player, Josh, you got to really, you got to step into the room and you have to be fully adaptable, right? Is it, is it fun for you to kind of be in that make-believe space of like, cool, what do I get to do to fit this person? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I, because what we were talking about playing with people for years who were sort of older or established, I, I've often tried to just sort of serve whatever I'm doing and it yeah. changes a lot. So yeah, it's, it's easy for me and, yeah. it's, and it's always fun. Which is easier though, because when you were in the Chili Peppers, there was always a sense of improv, certainly live when you would come out and play on stage, it was like, look, I mean, we're gonna tune for four minutes before we even play our first song, you know what I mean? The whole thing feels very <laughs> improv. Um, and then you get into this room where it's like you have to work to structure. Like, do you have a preference, or do uh, they're different disciplines, right? Uh, there, I guess they are, yeah. Um, but just it, just as much as live or studio are different, you know. So yeah. I think there's a lot of live energy in the work we do at Andrew's house, and yeah. we're essentially as close to each other as we would be if we were at this table, which is yeah. you know more connecting than than you find even on stage. That's true, because. There's been photo shoots and we've done a few shoots in, in your room, yeah, but it, it's not like it, there's that much footage around of the room. So for people who haven't seen it, it's small. I mean, it's to rehearse in. Like, I, it's a great room to record in, but when you say, oh man, you know, Eddie came down to rehearse there and that's where it all got started, I was like, how did you fit in that room? Like, my favorite rock music of all time, my favorite music in general of all time is highly improvisational music, mm -hmm. is people playing with people. And so, the whole idea of that room was to get rid of a control room. Mm -hmm. There is no control room. The live room and the control room are together. My engineer, Paul, who does everything with us, you've met before, yeah. Paul Malfa, who's amazing, yeah. is at the desk, he's on headphones, he's right where your camera guys are, and yeah. he can see us at all times. We're all communicating. We're just all there sitting. Because of that, it makes, you know, you don't want to miss something. Yeah. You know, all those records that we love, the. Zeppelin albums, the Black Sabbath albums, those were all made pretty quickly. Yeah. Even the first Pearl Jam album, right? Yeah. It was kind of made pretty quickly. And we go out of our way to kind of get smaller too. I mean, like I, there were a couple takes we would do where I would, I'd have to move from the symbol because I was so close to Chad. And, I mean, know. that's a lot of energy to be that close to Chad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there oh, are a yeah. few drummers in the world that's powerful. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, my hearing will forever has forever suffered because of my yeah. being drawn to him on stage and yeah. being like right next to his symbols for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, because you do. It's worth I mean, it, I've seen you. I've seen, what did you say? It's worth it. It's all, yeah, I've seen you um, obviously perform with Chad multiple times, and then and, and on this tour as well. I've been watching the footage, and you, you do. There is a gravitational pull, in particular for you toward him, right? Is that something that is fully subconscious? Uh, I, well, I just there, there's. I mean, maybe it's 
from my starting as a drummer, I'm just very connected to what he does. And obviously we're looking, yeah. I'm looking out, I'm not necessarily looking at him. So I'm really hyper aware of everything he does. And I always look to give him a little love when he does something you know, special or changes it up a little bit. So I'm just kind of, I just, from day one, I was always interacting with him like that, just kind of drawn to him like that. You know, he's, he's back there by himself, kind of go. One of the things I love about this album, about Earthling, is that um, it feels like you are lovingly reflecting himself back at him. That you're showing him, these are some of the things that you do that you may not even be aware of anymore, that are just wonderful and brilliant. And I wonder if that was, if that makes sense to you and if that's kind of what part of the process was, is just letting Eddie know, like, we get you and don't be afraid to let us show you how great you are. There is so much of that in this record and that, you saying that out loud, I think is the first time that's ever been even described like that because it wasn't done intentionally. Mm. Me and Josh are just, we're very, you know, I'm mm. proud to say it, like biggest Pearl Jam fans of all time. You know what I mean? We know the catalog mm. backwards and front. So I think when you sit down to go and make music with Eddie, your, your instincts take over, right? So it's not as thought as like, let's do something like this or that. It's just, what, what do you, what do you want to make with him? What do you want to mm. hear him sing? You know, how does mm. that? And it's a fine line because a lot of artists, as you know, have been in bands and produced records and stuff. They don't want to be reminded, even lovingly, what they're great at. It's like sometimes artists, the artistic spirit is so restless. It's like, let me break away from that altogether. But I do feel like he's actually embracing that on this record. He's like, no, cool. Like, this is a little reflective of who I am rather than just breaking away from the last thing that I did. You know what I mean? Mm. He's got the best voice there's, there is. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like being such a super fan and getting behind the curtain and, and actually seeing the process of him writing and being in that creative process that you could have only imagined when you were actually listening to his records as a kid? I still don't look at it as real. It doesn't feel like it was real. Mm. It was just this kind of <laughs> like dream. It was like a dream sequence, yeah. which is continuing to the stage now. We're yeah. on stage yeah. playing the songs now, and it's like, oh, we wrote these songs. Like it's just so cool, yeah. you know. And it's it's seen for us uh, both with how immediate a lot of it was at the beginning and the first when we were first coming up with the first few songs. It it you know obviously the lure of how. Pearl Jam wrote their first record in the, you know in a couple of days, and they played a show at the end of the week, and it seemed like that in a way. And I, I said to Andrew at one point, you know, I'm not sure because Pearl Jam got so big so fast. So I feel like from the second album on, it was always a lot different than it was that first time. I agree. It was like they were trying to claim some new identity every single time because we as fans had thrust this thing upon them, and it's like, oh, but they fit? were Pearl Jam, whereas yeah. on the first album they were just the guys who had just met making music. So I felt like what we were capturing in that room was maybe a little bit closer to that that he experienced with the band the first time because they yeah. never again were they this little entity. It's like you brought him back to that place and he didn't reject it outright. It was also, it's also Eddie came from San Diego mm -hmm. to Seattle and joined. Yeah, San Diego. Well, no, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But when he went and made that first Pearl yeah. Jam album, yeah. he went and joined, you know, a, a new scene, um, a new group of people. He, he brought what he had there and that magic thing happened. And, you know, he came to LA and came and hung out with all of us here on this record. And it was like he was again, just kind of coming into like another group of musicians. It was just, it was just cool to, you know, 
even think of the parallels and stuff like that. What was your favorite experience in the studio? Do you have one? Have you cataloged it yet? Have you started to reflect enough to be able to say, oh man, like I'll always remember that one? <laughs> well, I think we all share this one particular uh, Chad Smith moment for when we watched him, when we tracked In the Dark, the yeah. song In the Dark with him, that all of us will never forget that. But I mean, I, I was in the room for a couple of stunning vocals. And um, honestly, the, one of the greatest moments, I think, not just of this recording process of my life was listening with Andrew and Ed to the recordings of Ed's father, which we included a little bit at the end wow. of the record. But we, he, he kind of told us the story, told us about how through some former Chicago Cubs, this music that was recorded probably here in the city was um, made its way to him. And just sitting there with him, obviously that story being part of the story of the whole band that we've loved for 30 years. That was a special moment. Just hearing the, how, the, the subtle similarities in their tone and the feel. And he's, he's not played those recordings really for anyone. It took him, he said, a long time to even listen to them. He carried around a CD with him forever of it before he listened to it, and he barely played them for anyone just to, you know, for him to feel comfortable enough and close enough with us to play us that. Was, yeah. But that's, that's evident across the whole record. That's what I love about it. Is that there's very little in the way of head going on here. It's all heart. What he gives to a vocal, yeah. I've never seen before. And you can hear it, right? But yeah. to see it, it's like, okay, let me, I gotta move this chair and I gotta move that. Like, let's get those guitars out of the way because anything can happen when yeah, this guy yeah. gets it up on the mic. You know, he just reaches in, in a way I've never experienced. And watching him sing a song like Brother, you know, and you know, you're sitting, the best thing in the world for me is I put on these headphones and I feel like I'm again 10 in my room with headphones listening to the singer that I listened to when the I was 10. The moment in that song, it just, when he talks about, put your arm around my friend and it's like, here comes that moment when he's gonna release and the craziest thing happens. He does, but he does it in a really thoughtful, kind of restrained way. Like that's a moment I would expect him to be like, Fuck yeah, right? But he's like, it's really like, make sure you say this, it's so different. Yeah, it's like looking you straight in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, there's no rage, it's all just, you need to do this for me. <laughs> that, that song gets me every time because of the times. But I actually like the fact that, I don't like the fact of anything about that song because the subject matter is so deep and heavy, but. I respect the fact that it's, it's become something that should be applied in a universal way because right now 100%. more than ever, people are in pain. And that's why I think this album's so unique because there's a lot of joy on this record during really crazy times. That even surprised the both of you that the way the record came out given that you, it was made during COVID and there's a lot of, it is such an empath, I would imagine he would have reflected the pain more than the I think there is pain reflected on this album for mm -hmm. sure, but for us it was almost like the escape. Yeah and the release from it all. It's like, okay, all this up shit is happening yeah. everywhere in the world and all the way around. Yeah. And we could just go into this basement, put on headphones. Just be safe and create. And create. And I think it, it really does encapsulate both pure joy, the joy we all felt doing it with each other and that yeah. time we spent closely, you know, creating this thing that we didn't know was gonna exist the day before. And, but there's obviously tons of pain all around us in our own lives, in the entire world, but um, somehow both of those things we were able to capture, I think, when I hear it. So, and I think yeah. that's what connects. And he is, and I've never seen someone have, this, have the, a, as profound effect on the people in the room with him and 20,000 people in a field. Hmm. It's, it's 
it's unbelievable. It's honest. Yeah. It's just honesty at its best, right? Like, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to do both equally, you know? <laughs> I wanted to talk to you, Josh, about um, that moment that you got the call or somehow someone in the band or how they made contact with you after your departure from the Chili Peppers. And I'd imagine you were thinking, cool, what's my next era? Where do I go? The world's wide open. I'm a musician. What can I do? How quickly you got the phone call to sort of, you know, join up with Pearl Jam in whatever capacity and be a part of their family. Eight days. <laughs> wow, eight days. <clears throat> yeah. better. Yeah, and it was, we, were, we had planned a call on the 22nd of December, which would have been seven days, but um, just something yeah. happened, schedules. I think it was in Hawaii, so time differences. So we wound up speaking on his birthday. Beautiful. Did you have any inkling that that was what was going to be talked about? No, not really. I mean, there was a, um, I had a, had a few conversations with some mutual friends about perhaps that there had been discussions about maybe they need mm. someone to tour with them, mm. but I didn't. But they didn't have any uh, tour plans. Their mm. record wasn't released or announced. Yeah. Like I didn't know any of the timeline. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I cannot understate how, and especially for what uh, the next year looked like for everybody, what their invitation to join that family, having come from a beautiful family, mm. you know, having eight days of. Of that, mm. but then knowing that I had this um, this other group, this that, experience, that cared this them. adventure yeah. that you could go on, yeah, yeah. And uh, even though it never happened then, it, and we all spent a year by ourselves, sure. Um, just knowing that I was sort of accepted and invited to join this incredible family that I loved for so long, and it is a family. I mean, if anyone has seen the movie, which is you know just over ten years old now, and kind of. Um, 20, which obviously encapsulates the first 20 years of the band. Wow, that 30-year anniversary of Pearl Jam just went by in a COVID haze of nothingness, didn't it? It's like, we did nothing to celebrate that. I mean, you were making a record, I suppose, but it's like, I sort of feel like we should like have a post-dated celebration of that because 30 years is no joke. We're no, the last no, 10 no. years ago. It is a family, and what that movie really perfectly encapsulates is, is how the differences make them so special, how everyone, very honest, very different kind of human beings in a strange way. You know, joining a family like that, joining it just on a stage like that, like, Figuring out your place is, you know, a challenge. You know, it's something you have to be really thoughtful about and make sure you move in, 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 that, in that way. I mean, have you had a chance to experience it yet to any degree or do you have thoughts about it? Uh, I, well, we've done a couple shows yeah. now. We did um, Danny Clinch's Festival in Asbury Park, New Jersey back mm -hmm. in September. And then we did a few at Ohana, mm -hmm. um, which is Eddie's festival. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, so I've, I've, you know, and we've done some rehearsing. We did the whole rehearsal period for the tour that didn't wind up happening in March. So I've had enough time now to sort of, to where I feel like I know everybody and, you know, have relationships with everybody. I mean, I knew them all to a degree before, but now I really right? feel... On stage, it's like a different thing Absolutely, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, but um, yeah, I think it's just getting going and it's yeah. still very early days. <laughs> Josh, is the dream. I mean, it's the dream. It's the most the phone call you get. In Peppers and Pearl Jam. Are you kidding me? Like, what? Well, come on. It's like when you're a kid and you're listening to those records, you're like, man, I'd love to be in one of those bands. You get two? It's awesome. Well, and I don't play the entire show, so I get to jump off my riser and kind of you know, watch. jump I just around. I want to say one thing about him. Yeah. Just like, you know, everyone knows all of his contributions to a lot of our favorite records already, but having Josh in the studio and I think just adding to what you're saying as to, like, that sounds pretty crazy, right, that it could be one week between leaving the Chili Peppers to being in Pearl Jam. Yeah. When someone like this guy is available. Yeah, grab him. <laughs> yeah. Because not only can he play every instrument, guitar, bass, sing, write, do everything, play the drums, he doesn't even care if he's playing on something. If he walks into the room, he'll be like, 
oh no, you should try this pedal, yeah. or you should do this, or tilt, just be tweaking sounds. Yeah. Whatever needs to happen, he helps make happen, and it's like, you can't find that, you know? Was it always gonna be a limited run of shows, just to bring the album to life, and just then, you know, get back to other things? Uh, yeah, I think the idea was just, it, it's so funny. There's nothing thought out about this process, literally at all. It was like, we made a song, mm -hmm because we were just kind of rehearsed, like they wanted to come by my house and rehearse, see the basement, we made a song, we had a drink, we listened to Lou Reed on vinyl, we said, should we make an album? Which yeah, album? Yeah, I guess we'll make a Transformer. Yep. Then we were making an album, and then we were having so much fun making this album, we're like, should we play a couple of shows? Yeah, let's see, Chad, when are you gonna do it? It's just like, so not thought out, yeah. so. Yeah. There's only 11, cho 11 shows, right? Yeah. So there's only 11 shows, and obviously Pearl Jam and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction, Chris Chaney from mm -hmm. Jane's is playing with us, and Glenn Hansard, mm -hmm. who has his own illustrious, amazing mm -hmm. career, mm -hmm. is also in the band. So everyone's got their own thing going on. So By the it's kind of just like this one period of time where we get to do this with each other. Chris is an incredible bass player. Um, Unbelievable. But what about that moment at Ohana when you got Pino in the back? Just sunglasses on, just like, just literally, it's so cool. You guys are all just vibing off each other, thrashing off each other, and Peter's just in the back, just literally just going, with the sunglasses on, just looking left and looking right, just like, well, I think there's coolest two things, dude ever. Dude, I think there's yeah, two parts to that. He's and the, playing Give Blood. He's the coolest guy, and he's also the highest guy on the stage, so 100%, I think that's why you can he just tell. stays. He's six, seven. Yeah, I mean, Josh, look at you, huh? In a state where it's not legal. Nicely done. And, and, Nicely done, huh? And the way, Save that talk for California, Andy. The way Ed is, the way Ed is, is like, okay, Pino's gonna play bass, then we gotta play Give Blood. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what's Give Blood? I mean, I know, I'm, I can get deep, but I didn't know that song. It's a song off Pete Townsend's album, uh, solo White album. White City. White City, and it was actually the first song Pino ever played on with Pete on a fretless bass. This is why I love Eddie, because he knows this. Yeah. This, this is the stuff that informs his decisions. It's not just like, oh, I feel like this. It's like, I feel like this, but it can be connected to this and this and this, and then it's a real experience. Exactly. And then, as always with him, that's a song that people in the crowd don't even know. And then once they hear Eddie's version of mm. it, it becomes something they want every night. He mm. makes, like, you know, fan favorites out of B-sides. Yeah. And yeah. it's so much fun to play that song. It's yeah. just great. Are you going to pick one or two songs for the last few shows? Are you going to add things? Because I mean, I know it's a very spontaneous set list. Are you going to like show up to the boss and say, hey, look, you know, I know you make the set list with an out to go, but. Uh, he's you know. definitely. Yeah, you're getting the elbow in. What's <laughs> the dream? The What's the one you haven't played that you, because you may never get, look, I'm just going to be like super dark on this. You may never get to play with Pearl Jam ever again. You know what I mean? They may, they got enough guitar players now, bro. It's <laughs> maybe one shot. Like, what would it be? What would be the one song you'd love to play on, on this tour? Any and all. I literally love them all. How much fun has it been for you? Simple question. This whole experience, make, working on this album with Ed and just touring and the whole thing. It's rare when you just get to hang out with your friends yeah. and play music That's and have it, right? fun. That's it. I've known Eddie longer than this guy's been alive. Yeah. <laughs> that puts it in perspective. <laughs> and we all play a lot of music together. Obviously, me and Josh has, and then we make records all the time. And, and then just to, you know, have this all kind of happen just so organically. And then I, I, in the summer, I went to um, be with my family in the East Coast, and he's like, Okay, you be, you have to come back for like find me a window, and I'm like, all right, one week in July, and literally like six days, yeah. 
and uh, they probably told you, but the process was really, I mean, I had, Ed had some songs. And then the, the three of us would get together, and these guys would have acoustic guitars, and you know, who's got a riff, who's got an idea, something, 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 something. I would just kind of sit there and, and you know, make suggestions about the arrangement, thinking about the drum part, not playing, mm -hmm. no playing, mm -hmm. no playing, because he knows. It's like... It, get it in one, get it in two, maybe that's it. Maybe three, for, it's yeah. just for safety. Sure. And, but it's a performance, yeah, of course. Like, and, which is rock and roll, you know? Of course. It's like, it's, it's, well, I wondered about that, how much great. you actually think about the drum part, because so much of it feels instinctive when I hear it. I don't. Right. I mean, you gotta kind of have an idea of what you're gonna do, so, yeah. you know, but, but that's spoken about a little bit. But, but he lets the song sink in for Chad's hours. Toro. It's, yeah. It's literally like Toro yeah. with the bull. Yeah. When did you figure out that being in the moment, right, which is the key for, of everything, but is ultimately the goal if you're a live musician, which is what jazz musicians figured out right at the start in this town. Damn, you're fucking handsome, man. Which I think you're a good looking man. Thank you, man. <laughs> when did you figure out that that was where you needed to be? Because not every musician is. A lot of musicians are very practiced. They're trying to figure out the arrangement. They go in a different way. And you figure out, no, 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 what suits me is to trust my instincts and then figure it, and then figure it out later. I mean, you have to have facility on your instrument to a certain point, you know? So there is practice involved, and so you have, you know, the tools to be able to do what you hear in your head when you hear a piece of music, yeah. at least for, for drumming, you know, not being a melodic instrument rhythmically. And, you know, that's obviously a lot of practice, and, you know, it doesn't just happen like that. But I just, most of the bands that I grew up listening to were, were you know, a lot of spontaneity, jamming, you yeah. know, the Deep Purples and the Zeppelins and the Who's and the, you know, those, I love those drummers and those bands that, so that, kind of early on was ingrained in, in, in how I kind of approach. Approached it. Yeah, I just, and so you, the, moment, the most important thing, you can have your chops and your thing and all that. These, these things on the side of your head, mm. that's the best. And these guys are such good listeners. And that's so important. You gotta listen to the other guys. When we're playing this kind of music, because you play off each other, the dynamics of what they're doing, even just live show, everything. So mm. it's just capturing that that's that's the lightning in the bottle, and that's that's what you try to do, but yeah. you don't all succeed. You don't, yeah, no, for sure. But when like, I was young, yeah. I mean, I always just, you know, that felt the most, like, authentic to me, like, and, and that's when you're in the moment, and, and, and there's no, people just feel that. Here's the thing I love about Chad the most on his drumming, right? Everyone knows you play ass off, everyone knows you're a powerful drummer, but the thing that I think most people recognize now, given the legacy you put into your music and on, the, on record and on stage, is that you are, like, this incredible chemistry. Like, you attach yourself to other musicians and you make it better just through the chemistry and through the ability of playing, right? Now there's a question here because you had that for a long time with Josh and your other band. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that era ends and you, another era begins and you're thinking, I got chemistry with this guy. How great was it to be able to know that that can continue yeah. even just for you? It's really fun. We were, we were at the yeah. first gig. We, I just looked over and I gave him a big hug. He goes, I'm so happy to be able to look at over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a great, a great so thing. That's so rare. We're very like-minded. It is rare. And so you don't take it for granted. And it, as you get older and play music for a long time with a lot of different people, there's people that like, that you just, it's like, you know, you dance good together. <laughs> whatever you do together, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. a thing. And, and when you find that, you yeah. don't like, you, you really, you know, I appreciate that, and I love to do that, so. And, and these two have it, totally. in, you, know, un, you know, unfathomably. I mean, yeah. you guys have been playing together how long? 
five years, four, five, six mm-hmm. years. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of birthday mean, parties. Oh, well. A lot of birthday parties. <laughs> <A lot of laughs> birthday. Yeah, we well, were good. Weddings, birthday parties, bat mitzvahs. <laughs> really? Fourth of July parties. Funerals. Fourth of July. <laughs> whatever Funerals. Funerals, New Year's Eve, we don't care. We'll play. When I anyway. first watched them work together, yeah. you know, I saw that instantly. I just love the idea of him going to work at the other, the other company. Just be like, behind the kid. Oh, Josh was on fire today, man. <laughs> oh, fuck. He was fucking killing it. Yeah. How you doing, John? What's going on? <laughs> wow. Hey. You gotta have some fun with this, man. No one gets to be a double agent in this world. It's one or the other. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Getting Ow. to Earthling and the Earthlings and the fact that you get this sort of call from Andy sporadically and it's like, hey, no. I'm in the studio with Ozzy. We talk every day. So okay, okay. But, but okay, so then within that conversation, that friendship, yes. there's a conversation of like, hey, you know, I just, um, Ozzy's coming over, or Elton's coming over, or. He comes from a rock and roll background. You know, he does all this other stuff because he's so talented. He can do anything yeah. and play anything and write, and he's so good with people, and I've seen it, and I'm so. Proud of him as my friend, you know, to see him do that and rise. I saw him conducting the fucking orchestra at Abbey Road, telling them what to play and shit. Like, yeah, god damn. Little kids up there, purple hair and hair, all fucking session musicians. No, I think it should oh, be yeah, like stakes this. is high because orchestras don't play. It's just so fun because we love to hang out and we're best buds and then to play music together, whatever it is. and and. You know, obviously we can, we've done rock stuff together and, and the Aussie record was really special and, and amazing and had a great time doing that. You know, the, how that all came together and, and uh, was, was incredible. And, but just like, you know, he does a lot of pop stuff as, as we all know. And like, if he needs drums on it, he'll be like, hey, you want to play on this Dua Lipa song? I'm like, who's that? You know, obviously now, you know, but the last record and yeah. And, and whatever, stuff that I would normally was not in my world, but I, I, it's so great to like put that hat on and try to make something really cool uh, to please that artist and make it right for the music, and Andrew is so good at that. And it's like, it's fun. Who would never thought It's that, fun. I if mean, this isn't- It should be fun. If this isn't inspiring people fun. right now watching this <laughs> to apply themselves, albeit enough to be able to get the chops so that they can actually build a world that's Fun. Like this, like watching the way you guys interact with each other and then hearing the result is does more good for music than any industry component, business side of things. It's the inspiration of it. That's why I think you capture really more than anything. It's just it's just inspiration. You do. Well, as a producer. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's, you know. Grammy winning producer of the year. Where's your Grammy? <laughs> you got it in your bag? Actually, <laughs> you they say and Josh was with me. They say when you get when you get yeah. one, you gotta take a shot out of it, yeah. right? Like yeah. all the great videos of all time, yeah. everyone take a shot of it. The day my Grammy came, Eddie came over for the first time, so I got to take a shot of tequila out of my Grammy with Eddie Better. Really? <laughs> yep. And he took a shot out of a Grammy? I was surprised he didn't piss in it. <laughs> Myself and Eddie Vedder in conversation, the album Earthling, streaming now in full inside Apple Music. Thanks so much for checking that conversation out. If you enjoyed it, there are ways you can let us know. You can add a rating or a comment or you can follow this conversation series. And if you do that, then next week, a conversation with Tears for Fears will show up here without you even having to do anything. That's who's coming next. Thanks, take care.